Welcome to the Dynamics Hot Dish, the podcast where Ashley Steiner, Allie Nelson, and Liz McLennan dish up the latest news and insights about Dynamics and the Power Platform. Join us to explore business applications and low-code development with tips, tricks, and real-world experiences. So grab a seat at the table and let's dig in. Well, Ashley, I can tell you I was thinking about you this week because I finally (laughs) dove into my backpack and whipped out my post-it notes. Oh my god, I have, I can count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight post-it notes on my desk right now. See, and that's how I normally operate, but like with being traveling and everything, I've been trying to keep everything on my computer, but I hit a critical point this week where I was like, okay, there's too many things going on, I cannot keep track of them, gotta get out the trusty post-it notes. I and have I've already thrown two away, and it's been good. Liz, I'm so jealous you have me beat. I had to go to it too because like I just couldn't keep up with tracking them virtually. So I got my post-it notes out and they're stuck all over my my desk. My desk has like two tiers, and so there's this like ledge, and so I stick them up on the ledge. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Panther I wanted to say my hi this morning. Favorite, by the way, so Panther. cute <laughs> to everyone. His little chicken leg, he still has it. His hair's starting to grow back, but I love his little chicken leg. He made a guest appearance last week, too. That was really fun. I was he did. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do here. Because, like, he's just on the back of the chair. So. Nothing. I think it's just totally fine. He's been extra needy lately. So I'll just see how long he sits here. I know your dogs come visit you sometimes, Liz. They do. There They're we go. Right now. <laughs> Thank you. To right on you. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my you goodness, guys, my dogs have so. been enjoying, so like, you know, I'm in Utah right now, and we're in an Airbnb, and in the room that I've made my office, there's two sets of bunk beds, and my dogs have decided to each have their own bed, so I don't know what we're going to do when we go back home, and they don't conveniently have their own twin-sized bed in my office anymore. It's going to be an adjustment. That's so funny. The things we do to spoil our pets, because I could totally <laughs> see you getting, like, two Five beds. on the bed. <laughs> because like panther has a cat bed in every room and like he even has a heated cat bed for when we lived in wisconsin but it's actually been quite cold since we moved to dallas we've only had like one hot day so he still takes advantage of the heated bed i almost want to say to enjoy the coolness while you can because word on the street is it gets pretty warm there in the summertime yeah we had like one day in the 90s it was actually this past monday and I like texted my sister and I was like, this is too hot. Like I can't even function. And she was like, get used to it, buttercup. Like this is just the beginning. <laughs> and then now it's down in like the forties. Like it's spring weather, I guess, just jumps here just like it does in Wisconsin. So uh, my goal was to leave and come home to nice weather. And I think I'm actually going to hit that. So it looks like it's going to be really nice in Denver this week when I'm there. And Utah weather's been really interesting where it was like 50 degrees one day and then we got a foot of snow and then it melted and then we got another foot of snow. And, you know, we've been out here snowboarding and skiing. And one of the resorts we went to when my parents were here went under Interlodge, which I don't know if you guys know what that is, but basically there were so many avalanches nearby that they forced everyone into a building and they wouldn't let us leave. Um, And we were there from 2 p.m. until 6.30. But this past week, that same resort went into Interlodge again for three days. (laughs) Why are there so many avalanches? Is that normal? Yeah, there's been like 860 inches of snow this year. 
so because they're just getting so much snow it's like coming down over the highway and yesterday they tried to open again for a couple hours and then another avalanche came and actually came onto the resort so the avalanche dogs had to come out and they were like searching and no one no one was buried it was all good but it was like right by one of the chairlifts so they were now they're interlodged again that's (laughs) That's crazy crazy. yeah I've never witnessed an avalanche, but there's lots of TikTok videos about avalanches. That's what made me be like, oh, it must be common this year because there's like lots of videos of people seeing them happen and stuff. Because, you know, stupid people don't move when there's an avalanche coming. They want to watch it and film it for TikTok. Exactly. (laughs) I was going to say, Liz, yesterday we were talking and you said like the weather is getting nicer. Like you're even able to run outside. So... Yeah, I mean, it's in the 30s, so nice is an aggressive term, but (laughs) (laughs) when it's sunny out, um, it doesn't feel too bad, but the forecast, like, the 15-day forecast has 70s in it, so I'm feeling really happy about that. That's so true, though. The sun makes the biggest difference. Like, Like, 10 degrees with the sun out is, like, much more bearable than, like, 30 and cloudy. In my yeah, opinion. like the this week has been kind of like 30s, rainy and windy, and I'm like, no, nope, not going outside. But last week it was like upper 30s and sunny and calm, and it's like that's mm-hmm. completely different. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I wish you good weather, Allie, when you get home. Thank you. I'm driving towards it. We know you've been wanting more, and this time we're going all out. Dynamics Con Live 2023. An in-person three-day multi-track event at the beautiful Scottsdale Plaza Resort in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona, May 22nd to the 25th. Along with the relaxing environment, there'll be plenty of food and beverages to keep you fueled up for three jam-packed days of learning. Come mingle with 700 like-minded Dynamics 365, Dynamics GP, and Power Platform community members. We'll have over 115 sessions with a diverse group of expert and new speakers, lively panel discussions, and social events to build those Doug community connections that'll be your resource year-round. Register before tickets and hotel rooms sell out Visit live.dynamicscon.com today. Um, so to jump into our topic for the week, I know, Allie, this was something that you are going through, like, with work right now. So do you want to kind of fill us in on what's going on in your world? Yeah. So in the saga of we're never sure where Allie's recording these podcasts, so far it's been Utah, back in Minnesota, back in Utah, Um, And then I'm going to Colorado this week because I have to be on site with a client for UAT for user acceptance testing. And this is always a huge and exciting time in projects, whether you're doing small internal projects at your own company or like as a consultant, as we're rolling out projects to our customers, UAT is like where everything is coming together and everyone is the most stressed out, but also the most excited. So it's been a journey over the last couple of weeks to kind of prepare for this. Um, So I think, you know, maybe let's just start out and talk a little bit about what UAT is or what it means to all of us, because I think, you know, if we go in a circle and even start talking about UAT, we probably all have slightly different ideas of what it is and what should be included in it. Um, We've all learned from 
previous experiences on what works well in the UAT and it kind of differs by the group of people that you're working with too because not everyone operates the same way. So what I'm doing for this user acceptance testing round is going on site, meeting in person, um, and really guiding and helping through each of their different test scenarios. So what we did to prepare was really take a look at everything that we've built out over the course of this project and outline what every single process that could come up is. And we're really going to test to each of those primary processes. So, you know, what happens when you get a phone call and then you have to create a case and then you have to create an order and really diving into does every step in this process work? And if not, then we're going to record issues that come up. Um, and, you know, inevitably people are going to have really good ideas that come to the table too, but because we're so far along in a project, we really need to start keeping track of, is this something that you guys need for go live? Is it a critical issue? I think that's really what we're here to talk about today too, is the difference between those and how you can help temper expectations on what can be done or what should be done for a project. So, well, yeah. What do you guys think? How have you worked UAT in the past? My first question for you is this specific project that you're working on, is it waterfall or is it agile? Because I feel like UAT is very different depending on, because you're kind of like doing the UAT as you go in agile, right? Because you're kind of like slowly releasing features. Um, so like you might, like you said, you're having like a week on site with a customer that might look very different if you're doing like a true agile, we're going to do a three week sprint releasing stuff. Um, or am I wrong? Well, I, I guess what is your guys' experience? Can that? I chime in yeah. there too? I think that yeah. also depends if it's an enhancement on a system that's already live and being used versus a not new like deployment. Because I don't so know of many CE or D365 systems that can be deployed in a, just one three-week sprint. So I think like that's also the perspective of like, is it new or is it just an enhancement project? Well, you say that, but we actually, I actually just did that with a customer. We got them set up on sales and PO. Just that initial sprint was like three to four weeks, maybe a couple sprints, and they were up within six weeks. But we did it in sprints. So I think it it might be changing a little. I think it also depends on the requirements, right? Like it depends on how complex. Like, for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what they're ready to, like, what's MVP, uh, minimal viable product. Um, I also just say that UAT stands for user acceptance testing. If anyone listening doesn't know what it stands for. Yeah. And I think the best way to describe this project is it is a net new, which means that this company is not currently using Dynamics 365. We're implementing it for them for the first time to replace one of their current systems. So agile fall, I guess, is what I would call it, you know, for that internal angle. So a combination <laughs> of agile waterfall. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because it's agile in the sense that we are doing sprints and we are releasing code along the way. However, we're only releasing it to their UAT environment. So what we have are three different environments set up, right? You have your development environment where we're doing all the work. And then as we hit certain milestones or... In our example, we're doing three-week sprints. Then we'll take all that code, promote it to the UAT environment, and ask for our testers, um, the end users, to get in and test the code that we've promoted. We're just not doing that extra step of then taking it from UAT and going to production. So that's what this final big UAT will be for, is to test everything that we've built throughout the course of this project 
before we go to production. And I love that approach because then you're testing all of your code along the way and you're not waiting like a true waterfall project. You're not waiting until the very end to test everything. So you kind of can be agile, you can adapt, you can make changes as the testing occurs throughout the project. And then we just are doing this big final sweep at the end. Did we get everything? What do the users need to be trained on? Are there any exceptions? And kind of identifying this whole process. So if that answers your question, Ashley. I'm happy to chime in on like what I've seen UAT be like. So I think the first thing I want to add, and Allie, I thought you made the point like in a great way, is that UAT is not the first time you should be testing the system, unless it's a traditional waterfall, but I just don't think that typically works. I think most of the projects, I mean, have sprints and have that kind of testing as you go. But even in waterfall, like there should be unit testing that's being done by like the team that's building the the, the system before you give it to the end user to test. So no matter what type of project you're running, like this shouldn't be the first time you're testing it. This is the the end users are using the systems turn to test the system. And okay. I guess yeah, like the other thing um, is that like I think I typically see always the new features or the scope creep come up in UAT. So there's a lot of ideas, like you said, um, that aren't just fixes or not just the bugs that are being logged, but it's, you know, anything that they might think that they want and whether or not that can be, you know, added in is kind of up for discussion because it's usually happening at the very end of the project. Um, and I've seen UAT last a few days to a few weeks. I think it really depends on the scope of the project, like how complex it is and just how risk adverse the company is that, you know, is deploying the system or the enhancement project. And then typically you log them in a system, it could be a spreadsheet or it could be something like Azure DevOps or Jira, but there's usually some way like central location to like track those bugs and features. Yeah. And is that in line with yeah, what you've absolutely. done? <laughs> and then what's interesting too about what you said is a lot of the times when you tell the people who are testing or using the software, and you usually tell me if this is a bug or if this is a feature, if it's a task, however you want to. And a lot of times they don't know, or they identify things as bugs because it's important to them and they want to make sure it gets fixed before you go live. So really as a project team, it's your responsibility to sit down with everybody and kind of just collect all the information and then work with project leaders or whomever to make that determination for them or with them in collaboration. Um, because, you know, when you're using a system, you want it to be perfect. And a lot of times when you're doing, especially net new deployments, it's not going to be perfect when you deploy it the first time. And everyone, once you start using the software, gets even more ideas on how to make it even better. So, you know, it's going to be a constant effort of improving what you deploy in that first go around. But how have you guys had conversations with people before about how to help them decide what's a task, what's a bug? How do you guide those conversations? For me, it's going back to the original Louise user stories. I've always, I mean, for the past few deployments I've, I've worked on, um, we've worked in it in the user story perspective. So like at the end of this, here's what the user should be able to do um, and kind of look at those requirements and the feedback that you get what was this, is this an addition to what is in the user story or is it like related something that was missed? I, I guess that's kind of the conversation or the way that I've had it with a client is, you know, this wasn't part of the user story. Like that's a new user story. So anything that 
wasn't part of that original scope. I've always said is, is a, I guess feature is the right word, but I just say new user story. Like that's not covered in this original, you know, pro, whatever process or whatever we identified there from the beginning. So I guess that's the way I've always looked at it. So what do you do with those? If they come up as a new user story, do you often just tell folks, okay, I'm happy to still get this done for you. I can do this within within this time period. Or does it tend to get pushed out to a different sprint? Or I've seen it, both, both happen. So it depends on the scope, right? So we point everything. So, you know, or you t-shirt size it. I've, I've done it multiple ways, right? But you just identify like how big of a user story it is and how much time it's going to take. If we you know, we're really um, efficient with the first user stories and we still have some capacity left. You know, I've seen us been able to be like, okay, this is a pretty small user story. We can fit it in or we do a change request, right? So a change request is, you know, you sign something that says, hey, this is going to be more time and more money and it's going to extend the sprint. Or we say, you know, this can go into the backlog and you can prioritize it later. Um, so I, those are kind of the three ways that we think I've handled it, or at least have seen it be done. Um, and I would say that's from a strictly consulting kind of relationship, like internally. So if I was an admin and something like that had come up, cause I know that our audience is both end users and admins and consultants. So I just want to make sure we speak to all the scenarios. So like I would do deployments in a very similar fashion as an admin with my end users, and I would handle it. And obviously there's no change requests, right? Like I don't get to charge them more money, um, unfortunately. Um, but it's more just like, okay, I can get this out as is on this day, or like, this is how much extra time it's going to take and we can push the deadline. So I would say, so I want to speak to both angles on that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the internal perspective. I think it's slightly different because there's not that budgetary number, like you're paying a consultant to spend the time on the extra work to add that new thing in, but you're still using an internal resources time, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like delaying the go live and maybe taking them away from something else they could have been working on. So it's kind of a reprioritization of work internally if you add something in. Absolutely. And it's interesting too, because I've worked at a medium sized organization and I've worked at a large organization prior to consulting. And at the large organization, we actually did have to work within budgets and time constraints. And I think a lot of companies are kind of moving in that direction with like product management instead, right? Where even if you don't have like a set budget, you're still working within sprints, you're working within confines of your project team in order to get that development work done. And a lot of the times you are having conversations of what we, everything we just talked about, is this a bug? Can this be done within this sprint? Can it wait? That's my favorite question is, do we have to do this right now? How important is this to you? Um, and asking them like to prioritize can be tough sometimes too. So wording it in a way that's going to resonate of, okay, can you do your job without this? Are you hindered when you, if you don't have this feature and kind of helping to guide that conversation with those types of things too, instead of just asking point blank, how important is this to you? Well, and an individual too, depending on their role might not have like the bigger picture perspective. Like they might care about it personally as one person or they're everyone in their role, like this applies to, but like typically there's someone 
higher up an executive sponsor or committee, like someone else on the project team that has that broader insight and can kind of weigh it in level of priority of everything else that's coming in. And you can't do everything all at once. So like, I don't know, I just, I feel like the systems are really never done. There's always a backlog. There's always more enhancements and improvements you can do. And it's just kind of in my mind, normal to always have that, that list of like what's next. And it's just the constant, you know, conversation of like, what is high priority right now? What are we tackling next? Yeah, I've had this actually come up as an admin, I feel, because that's like the most of my experience has been an admin where, you know, we had this backlog of items and we're reviewing it with the leadership team. And one of the, you know, one of the leaders was like, wait, my team is asking for that. No, that's not even like they had no idea that their team was even submitting these kinds of requests. And as soon as they saw it, they were like, no, that impacts this one person and this really unique experience. Like, we're not even going to weigh that against all these other priorities that you know, the other leaders have within their own teams and things like that. So I, I agree that raising it up higher than just that one person, like you can't change a system for one person. You have to change it for the collective group of who's using the system. So it's a really good call out, Liz. Yeah. And I love the way that you describe that too, Ashley, because that is one way to get projects or platforms out of control is if you get a request from one person and then you just say, all right, cool, I'm going to build this and I'm going to fix it right away because it's what they asked for. And I know that a lot of the times, like, especially when I was an end user, I would get frustrated of like, why don't you just fix this? I'm telling you that I need this. Why don't you just do this? And a lot of times the project teams would say, well, you know, we got, we have this chain of command. We got to run it past other people. And now after, you know, it's been 10 years since that time, but now I'm understanding more that, okay, so me and my little bubble might be doing it this way, but that doesn't mean everyone else is. And I certainly don't want to break it for everybody else. And I think that in order to temper those expectations too, is just to communicate, right? So if you're going to push something off, just tell someone that you're going to push it off, why you're pushing it off, um, you know, maybe have them have a bigger conversation with their leadership or whoever's making that decision on why it doesn't impact them. And truthfully, a lot of the time, what that stuff can lead to is more process reform for the users too, because then they can start to identify that they're doing things differently and work together on how to have the same process and then submit a request to your IT team or whoever's doing your um, system administration to get it fixed so it's gonna work for everybody. I think that's an, an important point though, as well, when you're working in a consultant. So like, Allie, you're the consultant going into your end user. Um, you want to make sure as an end user that you're supplying the right people to do the testing um, and that you communicate to them with, okay, you might have feedback and ideas um, that might not make it immediately in or needs to be set up for a like review. Because um, I think that a lot of times what I've seen is that there's not um, an expectation set with the end user, the people actually using the system that like, okay, you will come in and there might be some things that you don't like, and that's going to happen. Like it is, there's, there's never going to be a perfect system that's going to work for every single person in every single unique little situation, right? It's not a snowflake system to like really accommodate everything. It's built for the like best practice or like the most common use case is what it's going to be built for exceptions. You do not build for exceptions. I don't know how many times I can say that on this podcast to people, but do not build your system for the exception. Um, and so I think that prepping your internal people that are doing the testing is a huge piece that I see get missed a lot of 
you know, that doesn't happen. Um, setting that expectation for how this testing is going to go, what is the result going to be, uh, that kind of thing. Communication, change management, executive sponsorship, all those things help with that. I agree. I think like that, I don't see that discussed enough. And like talking about it once isn't enough either. Like you have to reinforce that message and, and say that a few times in a few different ways. And yeah, I agree with you, Ashley. My favorite comment I've ever heard from one of my clients, and I was like, oh, has this been communicated to the end users that this change is coming? They're like, oh, well, they'll notice it when it goes live. Like, oh no oh my god <laughs> i was like that is not the way to do this they're like well if they if they want to do their job they're just gonna have to do it this way and i'm like yeah really I supportive like, i know but i was like you're gonna frustrate so many people i was like uh, you know one of the things as an admin that i learned is that upper management doesn't really care about like the cost of employee happiness or they don't enough care about the cost of because they're like oh well, how much is this how much time is this going to save how much whatever and I'm like yeah but you could make this change and it saves zero time but it makes your employee happier and like not hate working here so much like there's a cost to that um so change management I think that's a topic for a different day but definitely part of this UAT um part of your product yeah, absolutely. I mean, what UAT is ultimately doing is prepping part of that team for go live, right? A lot of the time, this testing period is looked at as also user training, which I have opinions on because I trained for a very long time and it drives me nuts when people treat UAT as training. Um, Ashley and really I just made faces at that. <laughs> I think we're in agreement. I was like, yes. <laughs> One of my coworkers is actually going on site soon and they're doing, um, they're calling it UAT and end user training. And I was like, oh my God, that hurts my heart. <laughs> yeah, Because it is kidding. not intended for that, right? And, and one of my biggest gripes with that is during UAT, the whole goal is to test your end to end process, report back with issues so we can get them resolved, identify workarounds. And if you're treating that as training, your team is going to go in using the system after go live and they might be thinking back to workarounds that we had during testing or you know the imperfect system or the issues that come up and i you know this is a perfect segue into change management and i know you guys keep mentioning it too but ultimately you want to make sure that the group is ready for go live and ready to use the system and if uat doesn't go well and if they don't have good training between uat and go live then ultimately i don't think they're ready I think that also like the audience of UAT, like who do you typically have in UAT? Is it every single end user or just a subset? Oh my God, Liz, we hang out too much. That's the exact same question I was going to ask. I love it. <laughs> or pose out there. <laughs> because like my opinion is that it depends on the size of the organization, right? Like if you have like 10 or 20 people that you're deploying something to, they might all be in UAT. If you're deploying to like 10,000, end users, they're not going to all be in UAT. So how could you possibly say that that's training because you're not even, you don't even have everyone there beyond the whole, you know, point that it's just not training in the first place. Well, exactly. And truthfully, even if you're deploying to like 20 or 30 people, if they haven't been involved throughout the whole course of the project, they might not even be clear on what the scope is. So when you get into UAT, that's truly how things get out of control. If you have new people in UAT that haven't been involved with the project up to that point, 
that's when the ideas start flowing and the, oh, this happened to me this week. I want to make sure I can account for it. Or why are we doing it this way when the project team made a decision to do it a different way? So it just leads to chaos. And UAT is supposed to be this very focused time to focus on the build and make sure it's going to work you know, for their process, but also to how you built the system. Because naturally, throughout the course of a project, you're going to make decisions that impact the process after go live. And it may not be what everyone expects it to be because when we're doing technology changes like this, we're here to improve processes, right? So if people are coming into testing in the frame of mind that this is how I currently do things, I need to make sure I can do everything I currently do. You're really not focusing on why this change is occurring and how the platform is going to change their process for the better. So would you say it's best practice to have your UAT testers involved in the project from the start? I think so. I think it makes a big difference. If they're, I will add the caveat, if it's a large project and they're not involved from the very beginning, that's fine. But Liz, to your point earlier of unit testing, I think they should be part of testing throughout the build. Um, or, you know, in Ashley's uh, example of being an admin at a company too, going back to your subject matter experts and or the person who submitted the issue and kind of testing together to make sure that their, you know, the build meets their expectations. So you include the person who requested it and maybe a couple other people who are familiar with doing UAT testing that know the broader process as a whole that can confirm it together. I think that's a, such an important point. I see that not happen too often. I think one of the biggest mistakes I've seen is bringing in somebody who has no idea what those conversations have been at the end to test and then give feedback. It blows everything up right at the end. And then you don't make any progress because you get hung up on like those, oh, well, our last system did this. Like, why can't this one do it? Well, like, we're not trying to rebuild your own old system, but you wouldn't know that because you haven't been here the whole time. Yeah. And the core project team probably works through all those conversations of like, this is why we're changing it. And exactly. that new person doesn't have all that context. And there's been no training or communication yet. So how would they, how could you expect somebody to know that? Like, it's not their fault, you know, like that somebody comes in and says all that. They just, they mm -hmm. weren't there. They don't know. Right. And I know one argument too is, well, I want to get more opinions on the project. I want to make sure it's going to fit to everyone's needs. So how do you temper those expectations too? If they're saying, well, I want my whole team to be involved because I want to make sure that everybody gives their feedback. How would you guys UAT is not the time or place to do that. <laughs> like that's not its purpose. Like if you want more opinions, like that should be worked into the sprints or into the workshops if you're running, like the re the requirements gathering if you're running waterfall. That's my opinion. I 100% agree with you. Yeah, Ashley too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was even thinking that like depending on the size of the team. You might not even be able to include them like before you might have to just say trust us like we'll talk to you we'll have conversations have a good representation of like the varying roles or the way people work on that team but sometimes st some of that stuff just has to wait until after go live because if you have a team of you know 50 people you can't include 50 people in every single meeting leading up to that so I, I, you know, the way that I've seen it done is, okay, let's go live with this MVP and what we have. 
And then let's, after 90 days of you getting used to it and kind of like, you know, getting your training, change management, all of that, then let's do some sort of retro where we talk about what's still difficult. What's, um, and again, I don't know if this is best practice. You guys might be thinking, oh my God, Ashley, that's stupid to get feedback after you go live, but just to continue with that agile process of like, it's never ending. Like it's going to continue to change. What's the next phase? Exactly. So it's yeah. like, you know, what still isn't working well or what can we do next to make it better? So definitely not during UAT, I guess is my point. I agree. And actually you made a, a great point of, yeah, like you might not have every single person there, but every role needs to be represented. You can't just miss a persona or miss a role. Like you need at least one, you know, one or two people representing each point of view of end user. Mm -hmm. You can't expect one person to represent an entire team. I've seen that before too, where they're like, oh, this one person is the subject matter expert on how the, the manager, business works. <laughs> the manager, right. and they don't really know what any of the processes are. And then you get to UAT or training and they're like, yeah, this doesn't work. This isn't how we do our jobs. Like, like you how they think someone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like how they think they do the job or like, right. this is how I want them to work, but it's not at yes. all feasible for the kind of work that they do. Yeah. Those are my favorite. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, so I have a question for both of you. Have you ever been on a project either as a consultant or internally where you get to UAT and even though you've had the stakeholders there throughout the whole project, it's like, especially I found this in a remote when it's fully remote, like it seems like they, they've not been paying any attention and UAT is the first time they're really looking at the system or getting feedback. Have either of you encountered that? I have, yes, and I'm guessing that Ashley's laughing too. I'm guessing that's a yes over there as well, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, my experience, I don't know if it quite fits what you're saying, but it's it was kind of like the perfect storm where you had the state, I guess a stakeholder, it was like the person in charge of the budget and everything who was there for every single meeting. One person for this entire customer service department saying she's the subject matter expert and knows everything of how everything is done for every single team. There were like three different customer service teams, never talked to a single person. And then at the end, they were like, okay, well, what about this process? Like our team says that they do this. And we're like, that was never brought up. Like you can't build to something that was never mentioned. It was terrible. It was because they just, they just didn't pay attention the entire, they were like, well, we just thought it would work. And we're like, but you never talked to us about how that team works differently. Like that's the, we can that project made me never want to be a consultant again, by the way, that was the one that did it in. Nope. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. There's definitely some rough projects that get mixed in there too, but I think that even internally, like at end user companies that's come up before too, like with me as an end user is we'll be working, we'll be working, we'll be working. And then all of a sudden a wrench gets thrown in and you're told, okay, well now we are changing the way that we do this. So what about this? It's like, okay, well, we are like 80% through this build. So how important is this to you? Um, or can we change this process later? Um, I, I think, you know, and keep reminding people too of those edge cases and building to the typical process, because I think what happens a lot of the time is those edge cases get brought up. Or, you know, if you you think you have the right people represented in all the meetings and then yeah there comes a point where they're finally seeing the system as a whole and like I said really early on it's crunch time UAT's crunch time it's go time it's got this build done we're going live and then it's kind of like hyper focus on what's actually happening in the system and 
yeah, I've definitely had people bring some stuff up at the last minute before and it comes back to prioritization, right? Is this totally a showstopper? Is this going to impact people's jobs? Can this wait until after go live and having those conversations? I have another question. How do you prep your testers for UAT? Do they just, do you just assume that they've been part of the project and they're just, they can go without guidance? Do you give them like pre UAT training? Do you do test scripts? Like what's your preferred approach to have to prep the testers? All of that, Liz, as much prep as you can do to set it up for success is huge. You know, with this remote work too, it makes it a little bit more difficult because you can't necessarily be on site with people all the time and people have to be responsible for doing their own work streams. Um, I tend to be or very organized and try to be very organized when it comes time for testing. And it's either, you know, me writing out all the test scripts and like everything that needs to be tested. And I'll go through Azure DevOps if that's where we've been keeping track of requirements and user stories or put it in a spreadsheet because a lot of the time your people who are testing don't have access to Azure DevOps um, and really like list everything out. Definitely doing pre-UAT training as well. Um, we've talked about this already, but everyone in UAT should have been involved before UAT. So they should have general navigation skills on how to get around the system. They should generally understand processes. So really as part of that training, what I like to hyper-focus on is expectations. What UAT is, what UAT isn't. Um, telling them how I want them to track issues that they come across. Setting expectations of how quickly I'm going to resolve issues they come across. Just lying out every expectation for what I need from them during UAT what they are going to be expected to do. And frankly, now as a consultant too, what I'll do is partner with like the manager or a stakeholder at the end user company as well and say, help me deliver this message to your team. So it's not just coming from me, but I get buy-in from management as well. So we're all kind of saying the same thing to the group and we're all aligned before testing begins. I think it's so important to co-present that message if you're a consultant with, you know, a manager or a leader from the organization. I, I love that idea. Helps to get buy-in, you know, from the team. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're hitting pretty close to time. Do you guys have any other, like, advice, thoughts, questions on on things that would be helpful for people listening? We've talked about... UAT a lot during this. We've talked about features a bit, bugs, tasks, all that good stuff. We could talk about this for days because it's super important. And I think the drive home message here is always be prepared going into a UAT session. Don't assume that your testers know what they're going to be doing. Tell them what your expectations are, what the goal of testing is, and what's going to happen after testing. Outline um how they're going to report any issues that come up and talk to them about who you're going to meet with about those issues to get them prioritized so you can get them fixed as quickly as possible. And again, these tips apply to any size project. You're going to do UAT for at an end user as a system admin when you want to make a change to go to production. You're going to ask someone to test that. Um, in that testing, you know, maybe you don't want to send them an email that just says, hey, can you test this? Thanks. But outline this is what you reported. This is what our fix is. Here's what you need to do to test it. Please let me know if this satisfies your requirement and really be detailed with what you're expecting from them. For a net new or a new implementation, you know, that's going to be a bigger UAT. So have that pre-UAT kickoff meeting where you're setting expectations, telling everyone how you're going to report issues, 
um, get with leadership and tell them how quickly you're going to resolve issues and how you're going to prioritize them and what prioritization means because you really want to do your best to keep it under control so there aren't ideas flying everywhere and balance that out with that you want to accept ideas. New ideas of the system are good. We just might not be able to work them in for go live. You know, these projects are all continuous improvement as you go. Keep track of everything. You can always revisit things later. My, my biggest advice. feedback is also put a time frame on it. Because like I've been in situations where you do UAT testing and like, you know, a week later, people are like, oh, I found this issue. And we're like, UAT has been over and like we're getting everything prepped to go live now. Like there's no time. So um, especially working in an agile, like you say, okay, this is the amount of time that you have to test. Anything that comes up after that will just be a future user story. Like it's not, if you find a bug after UAT is over, like we'll do our best to fix a bug or an issue. But I mean, sometimes like you, you just got to really hit home that like, this is the amount of time that you have to find stuff. I agree. Agreed. That was a great summary. Um, yeah, I, Ali, I love the point you made about like you want new ideas. I've been, I've seen it where, you know, someone on the project team's like, oh my gosh, like another request, another feature. And it's like, you know, you don't want to shut down new ideas. Like you want people to feel like that, that they can share it and that it will be evaluated in the future if it can't be fit in immediately. Um, and I was cracking up when you said like, oh, don't just send an email to test because that's literally what Ashley did to me yesterday of our own internal tech fluent system. But okay. We're clearly oh. a unique situation. <laughs> yeah. So I was I like, like really hard. <laughs> <laughs> throwing you under the bus. No. Hey, in my defense, I said <laughs> they were under this category. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just teasing you. Like, obviously, I know what I requested and I'm perfectly capable of testing it. And there's like five people using the system. So. <laughs> But I All right, Liz, like, Don't just for that, <laughs> just for that, I'm going to send you this super long email, exact instructions how to test. You didn't give me a time frame. There was no testing <laughs> script. <laughs> I don't kidding. like the direction of this call or this topic now. <laughs> I mean, truthfully, though, Careful that's funny because for, it's... <laughs> I was going to say, it's also a good point because sometimes when you assume that people know, like, okay, they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing here. I don't have to give details. That's a good situation to get yourself into a little bit of trouble too. Sorry, Ashley, no, no under the bus throwing, but I'm using that as a slur. Oh no, that was a huge under the bus throwing. No, I know exactly what Liz is doing there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks guys for sharing uh i think that there this is such an important topic we'll probably address it again but um but ali i'm excited to hear how your uat process goes with your customer maybe we can do a follow-up on it lessons learned thanks for tuning in to dynamics hot dish your go-to podcast for all things dynamics 365 and the power platform if you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to follow us on social media for even more insights and updates on the latest trends and best practices in business applications and low-code development. We'll be back soon with another delicious serving of Dynamics and Power Platform goodness. Until then, keep innovating and building great solutions.